Christmas time is a very anxious and uh, exciting time of the year, uh, especially, you know, for little children. Children love to write, you know, wish lists to Santa. Uh, Jenny writes, please give me a doll this year. I would like her to eat, walk, do my homework, and help me clean my room. Ricky said, thanks for the race car last year. Can I have another one? Only this time, one that's faster than my best friend's race car. Davis says, I need a new skateboard for Christmas. The one I got now crashes too much. Band-Aids would be great, too. Brian writes, Mommy says that you can only bring presents to the good little boys. That isn't fair. And then Nancy says, Nancy just kind of sums it all up. I just want one of everything. So Christmas can be a very anxious, exciting time of the year, but it can also be a very stressful time of the year as well. But no matter where you are, no matter what emotions you're feeling at this time, I can promise there is a Redeemer that has come, that has come to save you, and we can expect his glorious return someday. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're in Luke chapter 2. Text was already on the screen. We're going to add some more to it later. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 38. The title of the message this morning is, What Are You Waiting For? Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Lord, we just thank you once again. Just thank you for getting our hearts ready for the message this morning. Just thank you for all the, the singing, the worshiping, the prayers. But we know we serve a risen God that has come, and we're reminded by this time of year of your provision to us. Pray your special hand over this message this morning. First in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1931 was a very long year in America. Two years prior, the stock market crashed, signaling the beginning of the Great Depression. Many Americans were going through soup kitchens, bread lines. Many lost their homes. Many lost their businesses. It was a very long year, and people were waiting, waiting for any signs of relief, any signs of things getting better. Many businesses also were struggling. There was one struggling businessman, a hoteler named Conrad Hilton, who was also suffering as well. He even borrowed money from his bellhop so, just so that he could, he could eat. During those difficult days during the Great Depression, he came across a photograph of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. Now, the Waldorf is considered the, uh, the, the most, one of the most impressive hotels ever around. It has, uh, it has six kitchens, 200 chefs, 2,000 rooms. It even has its own private hospital and a railroad. Looking back, Conrad Hilton said 1931 was one of those years where it was outrageous to even dream again. But as he clipped out that photograph, he placed it under the glass top in his desk so that every day he would see his dream staring back at him in the face. He even wrote across it the greatest of them all. Nearly two decades had passed. The Great Depression, World War II, America emerged uh, prosperous during those times, but Conrad Hilton still prayed for the Waldorf Astoria. Finally, on October 12, 1949, after 18 years of failed attempts, he finally purchased enough shares to purchase what he called was the queen. 
In his autobiography, he reflected on the importance of prayer that was instilled in his life by his mother, and he did not lose sight of that during his, his old age. For 18 years, long, boring years, Hilton worked like it depended on him, but he prayed like it depended on God. You see, when we pray, prayer invites God into the equation, and when that happens, all bets are off. But this was not just Hilton sitting idly by. He was praying fervently that God would maybe bless him with this dream. Whether you're in the classroom, whether you're in the boardroom, whether you're in the medical room, whether you're at the church or on the football field, whether you practice medicine or practice music, flip real estate or flip hammer, it does not matter who you are, what you do, God has something great in store for you. In the text this morning, we're going to look at two individuals. Neither of them you're going to find in any nativity scene, but they make a grand appearance here at the end of the Christmas drama. And the key word I want us to focus on is this word waiting. It's a Greek verb, prosdekime, and it means to look forward to, to anticipate, to expect. And as we examine the text this morning, we're going to see that there are two individuals that are anticipating and waiting for something, or in, in this case, someone. So the first thing I want us to notice, notice the man who obeys God's word as he waits for, uh, the, for Jesus. In verse 25, there are two physical characteristics. We see a location and we see a name. It says we, we meet this man living in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the political and the religious center of the day and it still is today in Israel. So this man was in a place where everything was happening. The second physical characteristic is notice the man's name. The man's name was Simeon. Simeon means God has heard. What has God heard? As we're going to find out, Simeon was, had a special purpose in his life, and God was hearing his prayers. The second part of verse 25 Notice that there are three spiritual characteristics. First, it says this man was righteous. Now, that word righteous means he showed obedience to God's word to other people. In other words, he was an upright man. He was a just man. He was a fair man. But notice the second spiritual characteristic. He was also very devout. Now, that word devout showed, meant that it showed his obedience to God's word towards God. In other words, he had consecrated himself to God. Now, these two spiritual characteristics show that this man was obedient. He loved God. He uh, was devout. He was an upright man, and he was obedient. So obedience oftentimes is a prerequisite to being used by God. Now, before we get to the third physical, physical uh, spiritual characteristic, let's notice what this man is doing. He's waiting for someone. Now, waiting is something that we all do. Seems like we constantly wait. We spend a lot of time waiting, whether we're waiting in a restaurant to be seated, whether we're waiting on the phone to listen to the uh, uh, customer service, 
whether we're waiting at the airport or we're waiting in traffic, it seems like we're constantly in one wait after another, trying to get from one line to another. There was this woman, she was waiting in the checkout line. In her hands, she had a mop and some cleaning supplies. And the cash register noticed by her sarcastic sighs and her replies that she was getting pretty angry and irritated by the constant waiting that she was having to do. Well, the cash register had to call for a price check on a box of soap. And the woman indignantly, you know, replied, well, I'll be lucky to get home before Christmas. Well, being the smart aleck that that woman was, she told the woman, she said, with a good tailwind and that broom, you might get home faster than you think. <laughs> so waiting can be long. Waiting can be boring. There are things that we wait on with urgency and expectation. We see that Simeon is eagerly waiting for something. He's anticipating something. He is waiting for the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. See, the hope and the prayer of many of these Jews was that a Messiah would come and bring them comfort, bring them redemption, bring them uh, freedom from the Roman Empire. Well, as we see this Simeon, he's waiting for a different purpose. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. See, the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah and Micah constantly proclaimed about this consolation of Israel, that this Messiah would bring comfort, he would bring redemption, he would bring peace and contentment to these people. See, maybe there's some of you that's out there, you're waiting for these same things. Comfort, peace, enjoyment, contentment. You're waiting for God to answer your prayers. And you may be struggling, wondering if God's even there, if he's even listening to you, if he even hears your prayers. May, you may feel like God is silent, that he's not possibly there. But I'm here to tell you, he is present. He is listening. He is always working to orchestrate his plan and his purpose. So notice that he is waiting for something. The third uh, spiritual characteristic is this. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, in this time period, the Holy Spirit did not always come upon all believers. The Holy Spirit would come upon certain people God would ordain to do a special purpose. So Simeon obviously had a special purpose and he was ordained and chosen by God for that special purpose. We see in verse 26 what that purpose is. It says it would be revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die. He would not see death before he has seen the Lord's Christ. Now think about that. The importance he would be one of the first to see the Messiah. I mean, how incredible is that? How cool is that to be one of the first people to see the Savior of the world? Now, we don't know exactly how old Simeon was. Tradition suggests he was probably over, uh, around 100 years old. But he spent his life eagerly waiting for the arrival of this Messiah. He didn't just sit around idly by. He anticipated. He was fervently praying that he would see the Messiah. And he knew he would see the Messiah because God said, you will not die 
before you see the Messiah. Now, when God makes a promise, he has to keep that promise. It's in his very nature. To go against his very nature would go against his character. He would not be the true God. So Simeon knew he would see this Messiah before he died. Now, the next question we probably would ask is, so why would God have Simeon spend his life waiting for someone, waiting for this Messiah? Well, it's, it's rooted in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 19.15, it talks about that evidence of two or three witnesses would confirm a matter. Well, Simeon would be one of these witnesses. The first witnesses was back in the early part of Luke, the shepherds. The angels came to the shepherds, told them to go to see the, the Messiah. They were the first witnesses. Simeon was the second witness. And then as we're going to see here shortly, we're going to see the third witness. So like many Jews, Simeon was anticipating. He was eagerly waiting for the coming of this Messiah. You know, sometimes God calls on us to wait. But it, again, it's not some idle, impatient waiting. It's a fervent, eager anticipation. And I suspect that Simeon was fervently praying during this, during this waiting period. Now notice in verses 27 to 32, his persevering, his anticipation finally comes to fruition. Notice what it says. There are several responses that he has in this anticipation. The first thing that it says in verse 27 is that he was moved by the Spirit. You see, sometimes, you know, we are called to wait and wait and wait, but then when we're called to move, we just sit like our feet are stuck in cement. Cement, uh, Simeon went to move. He was moved by the Spirit, and he went to go to the temple to see this family the Messiah that was coming. Then he sees the family, meets the family, and in verse 28 it says he takes the child up into his arms. Now, being a parent of two small little kids, I don't know how I would have felt about a strange old man coming up and taking my, ch my child out of my arms or out of Laura's arms, uh, you, know, to, you know, to do this. So it was probably, it could have been an awkward moment, but the idea is the fact that he was there to meet the family, and he brought the child into his arm. He had a special purpose for doing this. Verses 29 to 32, first, it says he praised God. He thanked God. He thanked God because he was fulfilling the promise, and he could depart in peace. In other words, he fulfilled his purpose in life. You know, oftentimes we might ask our question, what is my purpose in life? Am I fulfilling my purpose in life? Simeon fulfilled his purpose in life because he would see this Messiah. He was the witness that would go and then proclaim that the witness had come. His life was now complete. You know, are we at this place in our life where if we knew we were going to die tomorrow, would we be at peace? Would we know that we fulfilled our life purpose, would we be ready? Simeon was ready. Then in verses 31 to 32, the reason why he was ready and he could go in peace was because he had seen the salvation for all people. When he picked that child up and he looked into the eyes 
of Jesus. He didn't see just a child. He saw the salvation of the world that had come to us. See, that's the thing. God came to us. And in this child, he looks in his eyes and sees that God came to us. Then Simeon turns to the parents. And he talks to the parents probably for a few minutes. But it says that the child's father and mother, they marveled at what was said about their son, about their child. Then he turned and he, he blessed the child. So it, to me, it almost seems like it just reconfirmed, reinforced to Mary and Joseph that this child, was there was something special about this particular child. It just continued to reinforce that. But then Simeon turns and says something, you know, interesting to, to Mary. You know, he, he, he gives her kind of a sobering reminder about what this child's going to do, the purpose of what this child's time here on earth was to be. He was going to come, yes, and be crucified. He would die. And he says it will be a sword that pierces your own soul. You know, for a mother to see that her child would be taken away would obviously be a painful, painful time. But the glorious message of this is that he didn't come just to die. He came to give us life. He would be the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection. That would be his purpose. So at this point, we could kind of ask as we, we, we continue on is what are we waiting for? Simeon knew what he was anticipating and what he was waiting for. You know, are you waiting for that pay raise? Maybe that next vacation. You know, maybe for some of maybe it's retirement. I got a long time before retirement. Is it getting married or expecting maybe that first child or your, your next child? Maybe in, for you youth, it's college, graduating. Maybe it's a job promotion. A lot of things we're waiting for, and all of these things are good things to anticipate and to wait for. But real contentment comes from knowing what to truly look for, what to truly wait for, and that's for the coming of Christ. You see, Simeon knew what to look for, what to expect. He was anticipating that moment when God would reveal himself to the world. Imagine, like my, like my heart right now, going 1,000 miles an hour. His heart was going 1,000 miles an hour when he would go and see this child. So the idea is that, you know, Christmas is one of those exciting, anticipating, can be stressful times of the year. You know, I think about when, uh, when, when we were children, my, my oldest sister always was, even probably still to this day, at her older age today, she's probably still the first one to get up in her family. You know, she's probably waking up her kids. You know, I remember we used to get up at 3 or 4 o'clock. She would be one of the first. I don't even think she went to sleep half the time. But the idea is that she was anticipating that Christmas morning with the presents. You know, think about that. The great Christmas present that would come would be this child that would save the world. I could only imagine in Simeon's eyes what he saw. When he looked at Christ, he saw the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. He saw the eternal father. He saw the prince of peace. He saw the consolation of Israel. He saw the redeemer of the world in that child's eyes. But it doesn't stop there. Because like Simeon, we are eagerly waiting and anticipating 
the glorious return for the second time of Christ. Jesus told, him, told us this himself in Matthew 24, anticipate my return. In Hebrews 9, 28, it says, Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation to those who eagerly await him. And we're reminded in the Revelation, behold, I am coming. So we are living in a time of great excitement and great anticipation for the glorious coming of Christ. So we notice the man who obeyed God's word in his waiting. Notice the woman who obeyed God's word in her worship of Jesus. And we'll pick up in verse 36 of chapter, of chapter 2. It says, there was one named Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. So, like Simeon, notice some of the physical characteristics. Her name, Anna, means grace. And boy, was God's grace ever on her in a number of ways. Secondly, she was a prophetess. God would use several women throughout his throughout the word to proclaim his word I was always curious about this one why would why is it important that we know about what tribe she came from says she was from the tribe of Asher tribe of Asher was one of the ten northern tribes of Israel that was taken into captivity by the Assyrians there's been a lot of myth and legend out there about the so-called ten lost tribes and Asher was part of these these ten tribes but we know that these ten lost tribes, they're not lost. I mean, number one, we see Anna here. But we also see in the Revelation that there will be witnesses from each of the twelve tribes that will be called upon by God. So we see her, her family background. I want to I pinpoint on this point, though. Notice she is a widow, and she's very old. You know, most likely she was probably married for seven years, then her husband dies, and she was a widow for 84 years. So probably puts her around 100, 100 years old, maybe a little older. But the key is here, she was not bitter. She didn't resent these long years of being a widow. She faithfully served God all of these years. You know, it, it, I think it's a good time we chat. You know, maybe there's those of you out there, why can't I get married? I'm waiting for that. Mr. Wright, or I'm waiting for Laura's got hers already. Wait for you're waiting for that man to come along to get married. You know, maybe you're someone, maybe you just recently lost a spouse. The idea is that you can continually to faithfully serve God no matter where you're at in your marital status. Anna shows us that she faithfully and continually served. God for a very long time. So we noticed her characteristics. Notice her calling. Verse, second part of verse 37, it says she never left the temple. She served night and day with fastings and prayers. Now, obviously, she didn't literally live at the temple, but, the, but she was there most of the time. She spent or probably most of the day there, maybe just like it was a like, like she worked there or something. But the idea is that she faithfully went to the temple 
And she went there with a purpose. It wasn't just some idle waiting. She fasted and she prayed. I, I would say that she was quite a warrior in doing this. And, and I know us, you know, men, we're thankful for the women in our lives. A spouse, wife, mother, grandmother, you know, great, great aunts, all through our history, through our genealogy, we're thankful for those women who have been faithfully praying behind the scenes. Many have a great legacy in this church. I remember Miss Helen, who just passed, having a great legacy of serving in the church, taking care of the, of, of the children. You know, many that are in the nursery, not babysitting, but pouring in God's love to these children. It's just a great reminder and challenge to us as men that, yes, the women are going to do what they're called to do. But as men, we've got to step forward and lead as well. Her message is this. At the very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God. In verse 38, she continued to speak of, speak of him to those who were looking for the redemption of Israel or Jerusalem. So, like Simeon, she thanked God first. Then she went out and proclaimed the message that the Redeemer has come. So she didn't just sit around. She went out and proclaimed. She became the third witness. Her purpose, like Simeon's, was to go out and proclaim that the Messiah had come. So we see the woman that faithfully obeyed God's word in worshiping Jesus. We see the man who faithfully obeyed God's word in waiting for Jesus. Notice lastly the response we have to obey God's word in our waiting and in our worshiping of Jesus. You see, both Simeon and Anna were obviously elderly individuals, but it did not deter them from, from uh, faithfully serving God even into their older age. You know, I think sometimes in our culture, and I can be just as guilty you know, the younger generation, we think the older generation has nothing to offer us. They're too old-fashioned, too old-school. We can't learn and they can't teach us. You know, that's a fault on ours. There's much that we can learn. But at the same time, I think the older generation can feel as well that they don't have the idea that they can instill wisdom to the younger generation as well and pass on the things that they've learned over their lifetime to the younger generation generation oftentimes spend their golden years you know vacationing fishing whatever it may be you see both attitudes are wrong and to be quite honest just flat out unbiblical there's so much that all generations can bring to the body of Christ you know what a testimony it would be for an older couple to take up alongside a young married couple and pour into them and minister to them and you know, maybe that's the aspect of the Christian walk that we tend to forget as well. It's, it's, it's the struggling. Simeon and Anna obviously struggled. I'm not just going to say waiting and waiting for, for the Messiah to come was easy. I'm sure that there were times that they felt like giving up. God's not listening. He's not coming. But they knew to continue persevering because God would honor his promises. You see, when Simeon and Anna continued persevering, they continued waiting and anticipating, 
God was listening and he was orchestrating a great work and a purpose. You see, oftentimes we want what we want five minutes ago. We have a culture today that overglorifies 15 minutes of fame but undervalues a lifelong uh, process of faithfulness. Simeon and Anna are good examples of a lifelong faithfulness, and God honored their bold prayers and their faithfulness. You know, as, as we challenge all generations, we can faithfully get on the front lines and serve God if we take the desire and the initiative to do that. As I close out the message this morning, I want to leave you with a story. There was this wealthy man and his son who collected rare works of art. They would oftentimes sit in front of the fireplace and uh, probably with a beverage in their hand and they would admire all the great collect collective works that they had. The, the Picassos, the Raphaels, the, the Rembrandts, you name it, they had it. Well, the war called, and the son had to go off to war. It was said that he very courageously died in battle, rescuing many of, many of his fellow soldiers. And this one particular soldier that he was rescuing, while he was rescuing, he was, he was shot uh, through the heart and died instantly. The father was notified, and obviously, like any parent, he, he grieved deeply for the loss of his only son. Well, just around Christmas time, a month later, there was a knock on the door. There was a young man standing at the door. He had this large package in his hand. He said, sir, you don't know who I am, but I'm the, the soldier that your son courageously died for, gave his life for. He talked about you often and how y'all loved work and you, you, you collected these rare works of art. The young man held out this package. He said, I know this isn't much, and I'm really not a good artist at all, but I really think your son would have loved you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son. It was painted by that soldier that his son died for. The father stared at that portrait in awe, but the thing that captured him the most was the eyes of the son. It was just something he, draw, he was drawn to the eyes of, of his son, and he welled up with tears. He thanked that young man. He offered to pay him, but the, the, the man wouldn't take any money. He said, no, it's a gift. I give this to you. Father would take that picture and hang it over the fireplace so that whenever visitors would come in, he would always take them to see this portrait of the son before he showed him any of the Rembrandts and the Van Goghs. That old man died, and there was to be a great auction, you know, auctioning off his, his works. The auctioneer came in, pounding his gavel. We'll start the bidding with this portrait of the son. He left the portrait up here first. That would be the first auction that would be, that would be bidded on. Who will bid for this picture? There was a silence in the room. And finally, somebody screamed and said, we, we didn't come here for that one. We, we want the great works. Where's the masterpiece works? But the auctioneer persisted. He said, come on, who will, who will bid? $100, $200, $500. Who will bid for this? Who will start the bidding? 
Another voice from another side of the room shouted angrily, we don't want that picture. We came for the Van Goghs. We came for the Picassos. We don't want that picture. But the auctioneer continued, per, continued per, uh, asking, who will take the sun? Who will take the sun? The sun, the sun. Who will take the sun? Finally, a voice from the back of the room meagerly said, $10. I got $10. That man was the guard. He was the longtime gardener of the father and, and his son. He said, I'll give $10 for that, for that painting. That's all I have. Auctioneer said, great, who will bid 20? 50. Nobody, listen, somebody said, give it to him, $10. Just give it to him so we can get on with the great masterpieces. Auctioneer finally said, going once, going twice. Sold to the man for $10. The auctioneer then laid down his gavel, and he said, this auction is closed. People were confused and what are you talking about? We're here for the, for the great works. What about the paintings? The auctioneer said, I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation. I was not a, allowed to reveal that stipulation, but the stipulation said that only the portrait of the sun would be auctioned off today. And whoever bid it on the sun gets everything. You see, much like that auctioneer, I think the message today is simple. The sun, the sun, who will take the sun? You see, whoever takes the sun gets everything. You see, there, there are many here this morning that are probably waiting for the sun, wants the sun, needs the sun, waiting for a life-changing moment. I'm telling you, the life-changing moment, take the sun. You see, maybe that's where God wants to get us. He's trying to get us to that place with waiting, with holy anticipation, waiting with fervent prayer and excitement and expectation for the Messiah. You see, Noah waited for 120 years, pounding away at nails, building a boat. Abraham waited well into his old age for a son because he was the promised uh, father of a nation. Joseph waited as he went from a pit to a prison to a palace. Moses waited in the desert for 40 long years until God came to him in a burning bush. The Jews waited 400 years in bondage in Egypt and then another 400 years waiting for the Messiah as it seemed God was silent to them. Mankind held their collective breaths waiting for the Messiah to come out of the grave. The apostles waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And today, we are like Simeon and Anna, waiting for the anticipation and the glorious return of Christ. You see, waiting reveals our true motives. Waiting builds patience and anticipation. Waiting transforms our character. Waiting builds intimacy and dependency upon God. The question is, what are we waiting for? Let's pray. Lord God, once again, I just thank you. You can only imagine what Simeon and Anna must have felt when they saw the Messiah for the first time in the form of a child. 
would have been something to, if we could build a time capsule to go back and see that. But the truth is that you've revealed to us we can see the Messiah because you sent him not just to die on a cross for our sins, but to give us life and life more abundantly. And as we wait with holy anticipation for your second coming, allow us to prepare to tell others to proclaim your word just the way that Simeon and Anna did. Thank you for this opportunity. At this time, we just pray to see you move in our midst. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.